Hi everyone, I'm Gareth for any of you who don't know me and I'm going to really struggle to be on camera and in the room because I walk when I talk. I'll try and stay here. Um, it's so good to see people, isn't it? I think many of us would find it's good to see people. For some of us, it's early days, isn't it? There's a sense of it should feel better than this sometimes. Like It feels good, but ooh. <laughs> friends, I think that's okay. Um, I feel that and I'm a massive extrovert, and I'm still finding my way. So if you're still finding your way, grace to you. It's going to be okay. We're going to get through this, right? Um, we are going through a series at the moment um, of the beginnings of Paul's letters um, and looking at his introductions and his prayers to understand what kind of churches he wanted those churches he was writing to to be, and in doing that, try and get an understanding of what kind of church we want to be. Okay, um, And the reason we can do that is because in 1 Corinthians, he writes, he says, that to the church of God in Corinth, who are called to be saints, together with all of those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So while I don't live in Corinth or Philippi or any of the other exotic locations that Paul writes to, though I wish I did sometimes, um, it is true to say Paul is writing to us. It is right to read the word of God like it's written to us, like God would have us do something with it, do something about it, like he would have it change us. Uh, so we are looking at Philippians this week, um, the one I remembered in Sunday school to find where the letters are, can God eat pork chops then? <laughs> Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians, can God eat pork chops then? I learned it when I was 13, that's a very long time ago now, <laughs> but it stuck. And while I was preparing, I also had my finger in Acts 16, and you might benefit from doing the same. Acts 16 is the story of Paul planting the church in Philippi. This is one of the churches that Paul was intensely involved with, knew, loved, had lived with over some time, and had a 10-plus year history with by the time he's writing the letter. This isn't a letter from a distance. This is a letter to close friends, people who he knows, loves, has lived with. Uh, and I'm going to refer back and forth. And it's good that I'm saying that because I would do well to put a bookmark in it and save myself some time later. There's three bits in the passage that we're looking at that I think we can learn from. We're going to see what we can learn from his greeting to the church. Who's he writing to? Who, who are the church in Paul's mind? Because that will tell us a little bit about who we are, who you are. We're going to look at his thanksgiving. We tend to give thanks for something we already have and that we're grateful for. So what were they already like? What do they already have? And then from his prayer for them, what does he want them to have even more of? What does he want God to give to them? And we'll see what he says. Now, before I get into this, I need to admit to something. I'm feeling really rusty. Uh, may fossilized, maybe definitely rusty. I've not stood here and talked to a bunch of people for 18 months now. And um, I was feeling a little bit shaky this morning. I lost it a little bit with a random one of my children who I won't name in terms of how close to the mark we let it be before we left the house. But that sense of rustiness, someone asked me in the week, how are you feeling? And I said, I'm feeling really rusty. And, and that phrase has resonated with me through the week because I know what you do with rusty things. I know you don't put rusty things in the bin. I know you don't put rusty things back on the shelf and hope the rust will go away. I know you apply oil to rusty things and then you move it. And 
And, I, and that's what I'm doing. I'm having a go. And this is not going to be the best I've ever preached. That's <laughs> the first time I've stood up in 18 months. But this is me receiving the oil of the Holy Spirit and giving it a move and see what will happen. And I want to encourage you. I hope some of that leaks. I hope some of it splashes all over you. I hope you receive from the Holy Spirit today. And I hope as that fossilization, as that rust comes off of the church, it's going to be good times, right? His greeting then. First couple of verses. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all of the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, along with the overseers and with the deacons, grace to you. Peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we're in what, week four or five of, of this, and lots of that greeting will sound really similar. He says his name, I'm writing this letter. He says, he gives himself a title, uh, and then he says who it's writing it to, and then he wishes them grace and peace. Every one of his letters he wishes grace and peace. I think it's because we all need grace <laughs> and peace. So brothers, sisters, friends, people I know, people I've not met before, Grace and peace to you from our Father in heaven. Receive his grace, his undeserved merit and kindness on you and peace from God to each one of you. There's similarities, but there's differences. Here's a couple of the differences and I wonder what God might say. So Paul describes himself. He describes himself in almost every other letter as an apostle of Christ Jesus. And here he describes himself as a servant. When you get behind that word, that word has been dressed up a little bit because the word is doulos, the word is slave. And the word resonates differently in different cultures around the world. And I wonder why Paul describes himself to this church and really only this church. There's another one he calls himself a servant to. Why does he call himself a slave to this church? I think it's quite deliberate. I think it's for a few different reasons, a couple of which maybe I might stumble on in the next minute or two while I talk to you. See, this church knows what a slave is. Um, all of the churches he wrote to knew what slaves were, but this one had a slave that he encountered um, who was set free by the grace of God um, in the church, we would expect. So um, if you've had your finger in Acts 16, you, you might go there. I'll tell you a little bit about the story so this is the bit about when, um, where's the verse gone? There we go. So they're, they're on the way to the place of prayer. It's verse 16 in chapter 16, if you want to try and find it. They were met by a slave. Paul and Silas and the band are met by a slave. She had a spirit of divination, and she brought her owners much gain through her fortune-telling. He puts up with it for a while. He tells the spirit to leave. The spirit leaves. And heaven breaks loose in her life and all hell breaks loose for Paul and Silas. But this, this is the point, I think, about describing himself as a bondservant or a slave. He's, they know, here is this girl who used to be fully owned, possessed by other human beings. Quite common in that culture, still far too common in this world today, but they knew what it was to be owned. And Paul, speaking into this church, chooses not to say, I'm an apostle, I'm a leader, don't forget who founded you. He doesn't play to his position, his authority, does he? He plays to something they all share. We are all owned 
by Christ Jesus now. We are slaves of Christ. Paul is a slave of Christ. This isn't new thinking. This isn't provocative in the life, in the light of Black Lives Matter or anything like that. This is it's in the scriptures. None of us lives to himself in Romans. None of us dies to himself. If we live, who do we live to? We live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. And this isn't just an affiliation. He actually really does own us. He actually really has paid a price to own us. It's not like we're his possession. We are his treasured possession. It's not, this isn't a metaphor for life that might help us grasp something. It's true. Father God loves you and has bought you with a great price and now delights over you with singing. I like that. I said a hallelujah in my office while I was writing it. Um, Don't you know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a great price. So glorify God in your body. So we're owned by God. And Paul wanted to make that point to this church and I wonder why. The next point of difference in the introduction to the letter is that he doesn't just write it to the church. He writes it to the church and its leaders. He says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus with the overseers and the deacons. It's almost like he's making a point. The one church that he says, I'm a slave to, is the only church that he names the leaders in the title to. Paul's being a kind master builder, isn't he, to the other builders, reminding them how to build. Philippi was a Roman colony run by magistrates, overseen by ex-military people who were there to keep the other pagans around the town in order. And there were ranks in leadership in Philippi, the magistrates. The magistrates are the people that uh, the owners of that slave girl, remember, dragged them to. I already went and took my bookmark out, didn't I? Bookmark in, stay in. When her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers, before the magistrates. And they said, these men are Jews, they're ruining our city. They're ruining our business is what they meant, but they made it sound like they're ruining our city. And they, the, they advocate customs that are not lawful for us to practice. And the crowd joined in, attacking them. And the magistrates, the leaders, who were there to keep the peace in the city, tore Paul and Silas's clothes off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. Which brings in the second layer of leadership in Philippi. Uh, the the rabducoi, the sergeant at arms, literally the rod bearers. So you have the magistrates, the strategoi, and the, the sergeants, the rabducoi, the rod bearers, who bring in the rods and beat Paul and Silas within an inch of their lives and then slam them in jail. So you have the leaders looking after strategy and then you have the others who do the dirty work. The work that the leaders don't really want to be seen. They don't want to be seen wandering around with rods in their hands, but they're quite happy to have other men paid to carry rods in their hands to beat the living what's-it out of people. There's even the jailer, because they get thrown in jail after after being beaten. After being beaten within an inch of their life, they're thrown into jail, aren't they? They're told, um, jailer, put him in the very middle cell, in stocks, and guard him, them, 
uh, three layers of keeping him right in the very middle. And this jailer, when he discovers, because the earthquake happens, doesn't it? I don't, you might have read the story. If you haven't, you're going to have a joy reading it later. There's an earthquake in the middle of the night. They're set free by a miracle, and the jailer fears for his life because he knows what the leaders of the city are like. If his prisoners are gone, he's a dead man, so he may as well kill himself before they kill him. The strategoi, the overseer, the leaders rule in such a way that those who lead under them either use the stick because they're told or they're so scared of them they'd rather kill themselves. Brothers and sisters, it is not to be like this in the church, is it? It's not to be like this in the church. Overseers, not strategoi, not strategists, overseers, shepherds, elders, bishops, The word isn't a a title of reverence and distance like magistrate. And when you think of elders in the church, you don't think strategist. You think love. I hope. I hope you do. (laughs) Because it's not a a, a rank away from people. It's a role close to the family, isn't it? It's... It's a role watching over brothers and sisters, sons and daughters in the family of God. And then the deacons, the diaconoi, not rod bearers, not those who do the leader's dirty work, but diaconoi, servants. The slave of Christ writes to a church in a town that has problems with power and says, this is not the way. We are all belonging to Christ Jesus. And so in the church, we are shepherds, who lovingly lead, and we are deacons who serve. And that thing about the jailer, I think, is important to bring out. Friends, if you serve in this church and you're scared of getting it wrong, that sucks really bad. That's not the way it's supposed to be. And together, I'd want us to do that differently. I have been there, in this church and in others, and it's something we all share as a family. We all need to do that differently, don't we? If, if we are scared of getting it wrong, if the same anxiety that grew up in the jailer's tummy that meant he went and got the sword, then, oh, I want for that to be different. And in Jesus' name, it can and will be in this church. And he writes to all of the saints, Not some of the saints, all of the saints. He writes to all of the church throughout the whole passage. It's all of you, all of you, all of you. Throughout the whole of this letter, it's all of you. Unlike most of the other letters that he writes. So who is the church? It's not the leaders. This isn't Dave and Adrian's church. They've already made that point earlier in the series. This isn't the the church for the Keenies or the church for those who came to the building and not for those of you at home. This is all of our church. We are all the church and we are all saints in Christ Jesus and we are all slaves owned by him. Thanksgiving, what is Paul thanking God that the people in Philippi already have? I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all. There we go, all of you. Making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day till now. It's the partnership in the gospel that they have given him 
that they already have. They are already united with him in spirit and heart while he has been on another missionary journey and a half. He's been in prison another couple of times. He's been beaten a couple more times just for fun. And they are still with him 10 years later, partnered in the gospel. It started from the very beginning when they got to Philippi, Paul and Silas and his friends, um, and they went to the river and they shared the good news of Jesus with the Jewish women who were there cleansing and praying, and Lydia was the first to respond, and she said, come back to my house, come and have anything that's mine, and the church was started in Lydia's house. What a beautiful, generous spirit was injected in that church right at the first day, that after 10 years of praying for him, receiving him, he came back to Philippi later, encouraging him, one of the, one of the in, uh, reasons why Paul writes the letter is because a guy called Epaphroditus is sent from Philippi to him in prison to encourage him and give him stuff he needs. They're still partnered with him in good times and in hard, and they're giving. The churches in Macedonia were commended in other letters for their generosity and their sustained generosity. Their giving was ongoing and regular and generous and reciprocal. Paul was able to give to them, and they received him as a gift So they're a generous, gospel-focused, global mission group of people. But I think what Paul is grateful that they have is not that they have this track record of their performance, but that they have this promise. He's giving thanks. His thanksgiving is for this promise. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in Christ Jesus. Back in the day before I have the job that I have now, I used to work in a bank and I used to sell stuff. I used to sell PPI, I used to sell package bank accounts, all the stuff that you're all getting money back for mis-selling, I used to sell. I'm not the only one, but I did. And one of the phrases that I learned off Pat was, past performance is no indication of future performance, your returns are not guaranteed. And you learned to say it as quickly as you possibly could, so that hopefully somebody wouldn't notice, and they take the thing that you were going to get some commission for. Our past performance is no guarantee. Our past performance is no guarantee that we're going to keep going. Our past performance is no guarantee that we're going to get there. Our past performance gives us nothing, proves nothing. The good work that Paul is glad that God has started in them isn't the good work of giving, of serving, of receiving apostles, of sharing the gospel, of being generous. It's the good work in their own hearts that Christ Jesus himself has birthed. That's what he's grateful for, that there's a living, breathing, heart beating for Jesus among you as a church, and it's still going, and it's growing, and it's influencing the world. And and Paul says, that good work, that will keep going, and it will, will keep going until the day of Christ Jesus. It's the promise that they share together that I think he's most grateful for. And he says later, doesn't he, about we are partakers. It's right for me to feel like this because you're in my heart, we're all partakers. You are all partakers with me of grace in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. This partnership, this um, lots of Ps, partaking of grace. The jailer, the jailers in this church, the jailer who received the miracle, saw the miraculous breaking free of Paul and Silas, was in fear for his life, was going to kill himself, and is set free by Paul himself from in the middle of the prison, saying, don't do it, we're all still here. At fear for his life, thinking it was the end, Paul extends to this guy the grace of God, and this guy and all of his household is saved. Paul benefited from a miracle that day. 
he was set free. The chains were all released. And the jailer benefited from the miraculous freeing of his own chains at the same time. And, and at that moment, Paul and his jailer are equal in the eyes of God, aren't they? They're just two men who needed setting free. That's all we ever are, <laughs> men and women who just needed God setting us free. We're partakers of grace. So their partnership in the gospel isn't through performance, but it's through promise. Is ours. Is yours. It's mine. Not all the time for me. But I'm learning and growing, and I hope we are too. The prayer Paul prays for the church in Philippi is this. My prayer is that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, that you might approve what is excellent, be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, and filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. When Paul talks of love in one place, maybe two, he's talking about love for God. In the 50 or more other places, it's love for one another. Paul knows the truth. We can't love each other well unless we love God. But he also knows the truth. We can't love God well unless we're loving one another well. And if there's one side of that equation he thinks we all need encouraging on, it's that we love one another well. Jesus said himself, didn't he? By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you'll spend an hour in your Bible every morning. You will remember the words to all the songs, Dave. You will um, not go over time in your first time out preaching in 18 months, Gareth. No, by your love for one another shall the whole world know that you are my disciples. Not that you think right, not that you talk right, but that you love right. It's quite clear here that your love will abound. <clears throat> that it will abound with knowledge, and the knowledge here is that you will know God. You will know him personally and directly and with all insight or all discernment. And this is the word used in Proverbs about knowing how to live. I think the realisation here, friends, is your ability to know God and your ability to know how to live are limited by one thing and one thing alone. It's limited by love. Your extent, the extent to which you know that you are loved and that you actively love one another, that you actively live lives poured out for the good of brothers and sisters. You will live right as you love right, which is why Paul prays for Philippi, why I pray for us. God, help us to love one another richly and deeply. Help our love for one another to not be based on performance, but on your promise. Help our love for our leaders not be based on fear of what they might do at all, but because we know them and love them and know they love us. Jesus, would this church be shaped by all of the things that Paul commends about Philippi, but if there was one thing that people in this town, that people in this church, that you at the last day celebrate and commend us for, oh God, let it be our love for one another, because by this shall all men know who it is we follow who it is we're living after, who it is we really, really love. It's all for you, King Jesus. Amen.